As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined today by James Moore and Charlie Ackleshare. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special one-off price. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts for less than £4 per month. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash spurspod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com forward slash SpursPod. It's been two weeks since our last podcast, during which time Spurs have beaten Stoke City, drawn with Wolves, had a game cancelled against Fulham, and then beaten Leeds United. Um, Charlie, overall, a positive Christmas break? Yeah, <laughs> with those games, I mean, taking in Leicester, definitely not. If you exclude Leicester, then I think you'd describe it as mixed Probably. I mean, we were, I was talking about this with James and, you know, saying I don't think Wolves, drawing away at Wolves in isolation is not a terrible result. I think it was the context around that and the kind of palace flashbacks that it invoked that uh, frustrated people. But yeah, I mean, getting the Leeds win was really important. First win in nearly a month since the North London derby. And it felt like a bit of a reset um, after Wolves, after Leicester, after Liverpool, after Palace. Um so yeah, I, I don't think it's been a hugely successful um, kind of festive period, but at least they finished it off with with a win that they really needed. James, you must have enjoyed the Leeds game after a pretty run in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think as Charlie says, you know, drawing at Palace and drawing at Wolves in isolation, I think are sort of not abysmal results, but I think the way those two games panned out, the fact Spurs were in front and seemingly in control in the first half and then sort of surrendered that initiative and uh, invited pressure in both of those games it clearly was pretty frustrating so to come back and to sort of kill off a game really in the first sort of 55 minutes against a team who are really dangerous uh, I think that was encouraging I mean Leeds are uh, you know obviously a good side um, I don't think many teams will have uh, and we talked about this a little bit earlier on but I don't think many teams will have kind of beaten them as convincingly as that without conceding goals I mean, obviously yeah. Manchester United beat them 6-2. Um, Liverpool beat them 4-3. So I think actually to beat them 3-0, I think it's actually kind of quite impressive in a way. Um, you know, to, to kind of comprehensively beat them without kind of surrendering that kind of defensive solidity, I think it's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, and it was proof, wasn't it? It was like, it was a bit like the City, Arsenal, even the Man United away game in the sense that it showed also Hampton at the start of the season, Spurs are at their best when they're against a team who play aggressive football. If they're against a team who, who come out and play and Spurs have got space to counter-attack into, Tottenham are really, really good. And they, I, you know, I haven't seen anybody else really kind of come to terms with what Leeds are doing tactically in quite that way, Charlie. Well, that's what, yeah, I mean, they've won two, Spurs have won two out of the last seven league games. And those the two teams they've beaten have been Arsenal and Leeds. And, you know, that's not a coincidence. I mean, Arsenal have often actually gone into the bigger games and played conservatively. But on that day, they didn't. And they went after Tottenham. Obviously, Leeds weren't going to compromise the way they play. And yeah, as you say, on both occasions, it suited them really well, which 
you know, Bielsa, uh, we know is kind of true to those principles. Um, but you would think teams are going to be pretty wary of doing that um, against Tottenham. And I think sometimes that will benefit them. You know, we talked earlier in the season, I felt against Chelsea in that nil-nil. Chelsea were terrified to really go for the jugular because of those, by that point, you know, that Sports Spurs had done to City the previous week and had done to United earlier on in the season. Um, but I'd be surprised if many teams, certainly of kind of Leeds, you know, mid-table um, uh, kind of standing, go, go and try and take on Tottenham in that way because it just it doesn't really feel like a very good idea. Um, and I think, you know, they, they were kind of the perfect opponents in many ways Um for Tottenham to play. I mean, I was thinking, you know, going into the Fulham game, I was thinking that had the potential to be quite awkward. Um, whereas actually then having had a few days off and then Leeds coming and playing the way they did, you know, and they had their chances. I think if they, if they'd gone ahead, maybe it would have been a different game, but you know, they, they left big gaps in behind and, and tried to play out and, you know, the goalie didn't have a, didn't have a great day. Um, and yeah, I think it, it, it was, kind of exactly what Tottenham needed after some some games where opponents have dug in a bit more and frustrated them. I'm not sure it actually would have been that different if Leeds had gone ahead, would it? Because I think they just kind of, they're kind of almost seem to be impervious to the scoreline in the terms of how they play. Maybe. I mean, they were just coming on playing the same way, but they, they just won't ever sit back. They won't ever Maybe. sit deep, will they? they? Just keep playing. I'm not sure, I don't know whether or not we want to get stuck into the Bielsa discourse on here. Although I wouldn't mind because I do enjoy well, it as a topic. But James, uh, you look like you've got something to say. I, I did find it, uh, this isn't a criticism of the way Leeds play or how well they've done this season or the fact that, that they haven't, uh, or that they've been beaten quite heavily by a lot of those top six teams because yeah, they're a newly promoted team to the Premier League. And I'd say in comparison to realistic expectation, they've done really well. Um, and, and look, I, I mean, football is about teams playing in different ways and if everyone played in the same way, it would be so boring. So it's good that a team has come up playing like that. It's like Sheffield United last season. Um, but I thought it was mad on BT how much they were praising Leeds. And look, I, I mean, to be completely honest, I think they had like three defenders missing, right? Or four even. Yeah, yeah. They had to completely reject the back four. Um, so, you know, I, it was always going to be an incredibly difficult afternoon for them. But I just thought it was mad that the extent to which they're being praised for playing out from the back when, when Ailing kept giving the ball away. And again, it doesn't really mean hammering Ailing because he's a fullback who's playing at centre back, who, you know, I don't think was especially comfortable doing that. But it did seem weird for that to be like, for that to be the kind of take home from BT to, to kind of just be piling on piling on the praise on Leeds when, I mean, I've got to be honest, I didn't think they played particularly well. They gave the ball away a lot at the back. They were quite wasteful in the attacking third as well. I just, you know, and, and this isn't wanting to kind of take anything away from Spurs because I thought Spurs played very well. But I did think it was odd that like that the coverage was so positive towards Leeds and again this isn't a criticism of how they've done in general or how they play this isn't me saying they should have you know sat eight men behind the ball and, and said come at us because given they've got a uh, defenders missing I think they would have still been beaten anyway but I just thought it was odd that the, the tone of the analysis was quite so positive from a Leeds perspective Yeah I wonder whether in part that's just because people punt uh, without wanting to like guess why people do what they do and say what they say. I think people in the media, I imagine that people in the media and the pundits are so stung by some of the reaction when it comes to Leeds. One, because of like all the Leeds fans on Twitter and also because of all the kind of pro-Bielsa people who tweet takes about football and who are journalists that I think people are, I do think that it's like plausible there would be some kind of overcompensation effect there. And people wanting to be nice about Bielsa and Leeds uh, because they're very wary of what what might happen if they're not. I wonder as well. There is just there there is an interest. I think people, for people who haven't seen a ton of Leeds this season, um, you know, seeing them trying to play in the way they do with the caliber of players they had that they have, it, there is something very interesting and different about that. And it might have just been you. You sometimes go in really looking for something and wanting to enjoy something, even if the reality that you're looking at isn't, isn't playing out quite as you, uh, that doesn't quite fit your narrative or preconceived ideas. I think we've, we've all been guilty of that. Surely this season of all seasons, everyone's seen loads of everyone, haven't they? <laughs> I mean, that's all we've been doing is watching football, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I've watched far too much football. <laughs> Less football, please. Um, uh, what, I want to get back to the stuff that Spurs did well. For me, like the standout moment really was 
the second goal, the one where Kane was out on the right-hand side and then bent that perfect pass around the back of the defence for Son to run onto and score first time. I, th- I think that's aesthetically one of my favourite Tottenham goals of the season. Uh, it reminded me of one of the goals in the Southampton game. And it just show- it goes to show something that we've talked about in this podcast before, which is that for as long as Kane and Son play this well, as in, you know, the best they've ever played, to be honest, then anything then Spurs can do anything. Like, you know, Spurs are not a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination. There's lots of flaws in the team. And if Kane and Son stop playing well, then those flaws are a lot more obvious. But for as long as Kane and Son keep playing like this, Charlie, and because I know you, this is something you wrote about, anything is possible. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, said, I, I did a piece after the game looking at um, Tottenham's reliance on Kane and basically posed the question, is relying on two players a problem when they are as reliably brilliant as they are? But the, but the numbers for this are quite stark. I mean, they've scored between them 76% of Tottenham's league goals, which is a pretty huge proportion. I think it's 22 out of 29. And no other Premier League team comes close to that. I mean, looking at last season's top four, and this is up to date as of Saturday, so it would have changed ever so slightly for City and Chelsea, but possibly not even at all. But the top two scorers from Liverpool, City, United and Chelsea... Uh, so compared to 76% Kane and Son it's 51% Liverpool 38% City 55% United 33% uh, Chelsea and those sort of figures are more typical uh, for the rest of the Premier League so you know clearly Son and Kane are scoring a huge amount is that a problem? well no as long as they remain fit and they remain in this kind of form and there's not I think there's not a lot to suggest the form will go although maybe a bit more for Son because he has been a little bit streakier in the past and I think even you know in the last few weeks he's been he he still scored some goals but he's had some pretty quiet games I mean I think particularly Wolves away uh, and Palace away so it's just quite an interesting dynamic I mean the, the fitness thing is is perhaps more of a concern just given how much they've played you know and between them They've missed something like 99 minutes total in the Premier League combined, Ken and Son, this season. I mean, even on the weekend when they were 3-0 up, Kane came off for the few minutes, Son still did the 90. And there was a there was a moment in the first half where they both went down almost simultaneously. And I, and I thought, like, the you were almost relieved there weren't fans in the ground because the level of anxiety there would have been in that moment would have been, like, genuinely something to behold. I mean, even without fans, you could kind of feel that that tension of, of how much that would mean. Um so, I mean, I think, you know, they, they continue to just be absolutely peerless in the rest of the Premier League. I guess it's just, you know, is there an issue that others don't step up? And it, it would have been great. Steven Bergvan hasn't scored in 27 matches. It would have been a great game for him to to end that run. And he had a couple of chances. And, he, he you know, he's he's someone we've talked about before that he's having, in many ways, a really good season. Um, it, it is just kind of, you know, that he isn't scoring. And, and you look at, you know, the rest of the supporting cast, as it were. Moore scored one league goal in the whole of 2020. Uh, Lamella hasn't scored in the league since September 2019. Deli Ali, I know he hasn't played a lot, last score in the league in March. Bale, obviously, has scored one since he came back, hasn't played a lot. Lacelso has one league goal since joining Tottenham a year and a half ago. So, you know, you, you just like the goals maybe to be spread over a, a few more players. But when, you know, as you say, Jack, when Kenneson are playing this well, it's not an issue. It's just whether it, it becomes one. And we've seen, you know, like Leicester... Kenneson was shackled. No one else could score. Liverpool obviously was the game. Bergwijn had those chances. Um, so I think we have seen it be an issue already a little bit. But I guess you know Mourinho just hopes those two stay fit and stay at the ridiculous level they're at currently. James, do you think it's sustainable to play like that, or to, to be that dependent on two world class players, or not? I mean, I'd, my instinct is probably not. I mean, as as Charlie says, Son has been a player who's been prone to kind of dipping in and out of form. I mean, to be honest, I, I haven't actually thought he's played especially well in the last kind of four or five weeks, really. I thought he, he wasn't great against Arsenal or Liverpool despite scoring in those two games, um, which isn't necessarily a criticism because when you're playing more or less every match, like that fatigue is is going to kind of build up over the course of the season, isn't it? And you're going you're gonna to feel it by the time you get to December. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of speaks for a lack of depth that I think we talked about before having kind of started the season very enthusiastic about how strong the squad was the reality of the performances of those I, I mean not even the fringe players just just everyone else other than those two um, has been such that, that Spurs have just had to have both of them on the pitch for pretty much every every minute until the game is effectively won uh, I, and they just really need any other player to turn up in the second half of the season and come in and you know score 
six, seven, eight goals in the league between now and the end of the season, be that Bale or Bergvine or whoever else. I, Bale or Bergvine, I think, would be the two. I think you'd say most likely, I think, just purely on the basis of the way they play. I mean, Lucas, maybe. I, I, again, he's another player who, you know, will have two or three good games and then kind of fade away for a couple of months. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It has got me thinking, and I don't want to get too I don't want to get too stuck into the question of whether or not Spurs are going to win the league, but um like generally speaking, nowadays this isn't how teams win the league. Like they win the you know, they have a much more broad based attack rather than simply relying on two individuals. So I've been I've been looking trying to think back like when was the last time that a team did really well who was this de- just dependent on, you know, two guys to do all their attacking. And I, funnily enough, the I mean the one example that came to my head would have been Mourinho's 2014-15 Chelsea team who won the Premier League. But I was just looking at the stats to see if it was at all comparable. And that year, Diego Costa got 20 Premier League goals. Eden Hazard got 14 Premier League goals. And then there's a bit of there's a big drop-off. And then you get to Loic Remney with seven, Oscar with six, and John Terry with five. I'm not sure, another, as it stands, another Spurs, no other Spurs player is going to get five, six, or seven. Like you guys were mentioning Bergwijn and Bale and Lucas, but Ndombele is currently the third, the third top scorer in the league so far with two. Like it would be amazing if somebody were to get five, six, or seven. Yeah, he's the only player, other player besides those two with more than one league goal so far this season. I mean, I guess you can make the case Mares and Vardy in, in 15 16 for Leicester. Yeah, I think they have still had, you know, Okazaki and. Yeah, yeah, I guess they're probably like the they're probably the closest example really of teams who funneled all their attacking through two players. But it's just, yeah, it's it's just very different, isn't it? You just need a lot of players with two, three, four goals, don't you? If you if you have that, I think, and that that might be where you know you need more goals from set pieces, basically from Dyer and Alderweireld or whatever, don't you? I think if you're going to score so few goals from from open play for other players. And Toby scored the other day, but it's, again, attacking set pieces hasn't really been something... I don't think Spurs have been really as good on attacking set pieces as we probably hoped they would be when Mourinho took over. Ever since Ericsson left and we don't have his corners anymore, James. I mean, Son did pretty well with that one into the near post on Saturday, didn't he? He also, he also put the one in for out of Irod's goal against Arsenal in the derby last season. So in 2015-16, in the league, Jamie Vardy got 24 goals, Riyad Mahrez got 17 goals. Then you're right, there is a massive drop-off before you get to Leonardo Ujoa with six goals, Shinji Okazaki with five goals, and then Robert Huth with three goals in the Premier League. So you're right, that's a comparable situation. How many did Leicester score that season in the league? Just look it up. I feel like they won a lot of games 1-0 at the end, yeah. didn't they? It, it yeah, was so very they didn't tidy. score a ton, but they scored 68. God, that really isn't I many. I mean, that is it? really is. That's not many, is it? No. That's mad. Spurs will get more than that this year, won't they? I mean, what, look, I, what will inevitably happen is like someone will, either Lucas, either Lucas Bale or Bergwijn will score five league goals by the end of the season. I absolutely guarantee that. And that's just the way it goes, isn't it? One of one of those three players will have a good bit of form where they'll, you know, they'll score a couple of goals in one game. Bell's obviously already got one. And then, you know, you're only a couple away, aren't you? So I, 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 one of those will get there. But yeah, you're right. It is a problem. It, it just puts so much pressure on those two players. And, you know, even we've seen it in Europa League games that they've looked, there have been moments that look like they're going to struggle to break down teams you would say probably should be swept aside quite easily without those two players or one or other of those two players on the pitch. Just to give that context as well, so say, like what those numbers Jack read out for Mahrez and Vardy obviously sound pretty stark, but that's still, they only scored 60% of Leicester's league goals that season compared to 76 so far this season from Kane and Son. And obviously, you know, it's early in the season, relatively speaking, but that does give a sense, like those numbers I gave earlier of the last season's top four of how you know, unique at the moment Spurs are for having that level of reliance on two players. One player who's not scoring, who 
I would like to talk about a little bit is Stephen Bergwijn, who came back into the team for the Leeds game. And I, I know it's tough for him because he's not scoring goals, but I do watch him and I do understand why he's in the team. Like his movement is good. He's very selfless. He tries really hard. He, he defends. I think his I think his all round game looks kind of better than Lucas Moura's, even though Moura is probably better in front of goal. Um, James, James, you are you kind of pro Bergwijn or anti Bergwijn? Yeah, broadly speaking, I mean, I think he is kind of. I mean, he's almost that classic cliche Mourinho player, isn't he? Of like an attacking player who's been put in the team to do a defensive job. Um, but I think you saw more of the kind of positive stuff he can do in an offensive sense on Saturday. I mean, he he. A couple of times he got himself into good positions to play passes and pick the wrong option. I mean, particularly in the first half, he picked a couple up from uh, stray passes from Luke Ayling and then didn't quite get it quite right himself and Spurs weren't able to kind of exploit like a three-on-three or three-on-two or whatever. But, I mean, his finishing, and I know there are a few grumbles about this after the game at Anfield where he missed a couple of good chances. But, I mean, that one in the first half on Saturday where... Uh, I can't forget it was who played the ball over from the left now. Was it Davis? Ben Davis, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then he kind of controlled the ball really nicely and turned and got himself into a shooting position on his right foot, like on the edge of the 60 yard box. And really, all you've got to do there is hit the target and you're more than likely going to score, um, unless it's right down the keeper's throat. And he kind of leans back and puts it way over the bar. I don't know if that's. It would be incredibly easy to say that was a result of low confidence having missed a couple of other chances and not scored a league goal yet this season. I mean, I have no, you know, without talking to him and, and being around him, you just can't possibly know that. But it does kind of strike me as the kind of chance you'd expect a player of that, of that quality to score, surely. And that's the kind of opportunity you want, you know, a player in that wide position to take, right? Yeah, I, I think, um, it, you know, the, the one in the second half as well, where he went through, and again, it kind of typified it because the touch before was brilliant to set himself. And then he basically smashed it, put his foot through it in a way that you do when you you haven't scored for, you know, that's your 27th game without scoring. and You just really want to get on the score sheet. You know, it, it wasn't the finish of someone really confident in front of goal. You know, I, I, th- I think that will hopefully change. And, you know, it's such a cliche about, you know, you just need one to go in off your bum or whatever. But I do think he just needs that first goal and hopefully, you know, that, that will liberate him a bit and he'll go on a bit of a run. But yeah, I mean, I tweeted at half time saying I thought he'd played well and got a barrage of people saying, no, he hasn't. He's been awful. Da, da, da. And I, I just don't see that. I think he I think he had another good game. He's had some really good games. Um, I think he is. he's really important to the way they play in opening up space for Kane and Son. I think most people really appreciate him. And hopefully, yeah, once he does, once he can add goals to his game, then... Um, that'll make a big difference I mean we, we asked Mourinho about him afterwards and uh, Mourinho said that he's had a lot of niggles this season so hasn't been uh, completely fully fit and you think well if if uh, he does shrug those off you know he had he had that bad injury at the end of last season as well that it's kind of forgotten about because the lockdown meant he didn't really miss any games but you know those sort of things do make a difference so hopefully once he uh, is at completely full speed he, he will start putting some of those away and then that puts quite a different complexion on it Someone else who's enjoying a good run at the moment is Harry Winks, who has started three games in a row in all competitions, which I th- must make it his best run this season. Uh, I think he's looking pretty good. Like he, you know, he was the guy who won the ball back off Leeds with that clever bit of pressing to play the ball through to Bergwijn to set up Tottenham's penalty to open the scoring in that game. Um, I think he brings a kind of just. A little bit, maybe a little. He's just better on the ball than Sissoko. Basically, he can't do everything Sissoko can do physically or defensively, but he does make Spurs a little bit more active in possession. I think, and a little bit more, a little bit more imaginative. Um, Charlie, this has obviously come at a time when Winks is desperate to play more and has asked Mourinho about playing more. What do you? What was your reading of the situation at the moment? Yeah, well, I wrote a column on Winks uh, last month, kind of looking at his dilemma and saying I think he, you know, he should stay. These things can change very quickly, and you know, a move certainly in January and for you know a player of his sort of level, I think is really hard to get right. You're often having to move down, and once you do that, it's really hard to to move back up. Um, and I think it's kind of played out like that. Like he he ha- he was given his chance against Stoke. He took it. He played really well, and and has played the next couple of league games. And I think you know he's someone that you know like and Dombele has done something similar. We've even seen that from out of You know he was not playing at the start of the season, has come back in, and you you wonder if someone like Delhi looks at Winks and thinks, well, it is possible to do that. 
So I think I think it's been well timed for him as well in the sense that Mourinho acknowledged that the Sissoko Hoybier axis worked very well when they were playing in that you know sort of back six almost. Teams have become a bit wise to that, and Spurs struggle to move the ball up the pitch. And Winks is is just much better at doing that. He's a he's a good quick passer, um, and that has made a difference for Tottenham in, in the last few games. And, and yeah, as you say, he, he, him and Hoybier were really good on the weekend at uh, picking off passes and starting Tottenham attacks. Like, that was one of the reasons why Spurs had so many efforts on goal. Um, and Winks did it again in the second half when he, he intercepted one and then uh, tried another long-range special. Um, got a bit carried away after that one in the Europa League. But yeah, it, it, you know, it seems like the situation's changed. And uh, I think... They have so they will have so many games between now and the end of the season. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get a number that is that is acceptable to Gareth Southgate. He's not going to play every single week. You know, Tottenham have competition in those areas, but he's uh, he's worked his way back in the team. And, you know, he's first choice now ahead of Sissoko. Obviously, de- depending slightly on the opposition, um, and and I think he has You know, he has improved Tottenham's ability to play up the pitch, and we saw that against Leeds. And in patches, you know, in the first half against Wolves as well, until uh, it all slightly fell apart in the second half. I do think the kind of thing he does is quite often the kind of thing that gets overlooked by people. He seems to be a bit of a scapegoat for me. Like you see, like like you know, you see like when Spurs tweet the team and he's in the starting eleven, you'll get a load of you know people with Lacelso as their avatar moaning and groaning. But I, I think what he what he can bring to the team is really important in a game like that, where as you say, Charlie. They don't necessarily need to have that kind of back six. They can afford to have someone a bit more expansive, which isn't to say he isn't... Uh, he's pretty tenacious, isn't he? I mean, he will put a tackle and he'll put himself about. Uh, he'll, he'll kind of get involved and, you know, do a defensive job when needed. But he, he's so good at like, playing those balls quickly, and it, which is mad because I think there's a perception that he's, that he's the opposite. And, I know, I think yeah. It's, it's like, it's like the, the worst misreading of any Spurs player in the last few years, this idea that he can't play balls quickly, which he definitely can. Um, even so, like you say, with that penalty, he won that ball and played yeah, that exactly. ball to Bergwijn straight away. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think it's mad if a player like him can't be playing a lot of football on a team that are going to end up playing 60 games in a season. I mean, I, it, it, it seems crazy to me that the idea that he wouldn't be able to play a lot. I mean, but it's a really interesting one, James. Like, uh, you know, maybe it's a broader point, but, you know, this is a guy who's homegrown. He clearly cares a lot about the club. He um, was a supporter growing up and, you know, seems to have a great attitude and yet has become a bit of a lightning rod for criticism. And I just kind of wonder why that is. I, I really don't understand that. I think it's absolutely mad. I think he's a really good player. Um and you know he's he's not the best player at the club, but I mean I don't really see that that's a reason that he would be like kind of criticised. I mean mm. if anything he's you know far far worse players have been massive cult heroes. Uh, totally. I, I mean it's it's absolutely insane to me that he's not like one of the most popular players. I know yeah it, it, yeah I with these debates it's like you know I'm not a Spurs fan so I can't I can't kind of identify with with how Spurs fans might feel about a particular player, it's not really my place. But I I am surprised that he's not more popular. Like he is he's really good. He's he's pretty good. He's really consistent. He's a Spurs fan. He's from, from the Academy. He's also played like a lot of really he's played a lot of really hard games, like really well for Spurs. He's at played the start the of Champions his career. League final. Yeah, he got he came back for the Champions League final. He's played really well against Real Madrid, against Barcelona. Yeah, he's, Real Madrid. Real big game big game pedigree for such a young player. And I don't know if it's just like if this is just modern fans and it's like, you know, this you know uh, Celso is obviously a really good player as well. And but is it is it like because he's exciting and from Argentina and they signed him from Betis, like somehow that makes him a bit more glam than the lad from like Hemel Hempstead who came through the academy. But yeah, you, yeah, I mean that does seem like kind of the obvious answer to that. But then you look like further up the pitch and there's Harry Kane, who is kind of like a, an even less glamorous bloke, and he's obviously the most loved player at the club yeah. and one of the best players in the world. It's just kind of it seems it kind of seems obvious to me that that's kind of what you should be looking at and thinking. Oh, actually. Yeah, it's it's fine to kind of love this guy. Yeah, but I think Charlie is absolutely spot on, which is that Spurs' schedule is ridiculous. Like Spurs have got so, so many games. Like this is assuming they beat Wolfsburger in the 
Europa League last 32 next month. It's just going to be relentless football. It's like, if football is allowed to carry on and it's not stopped by the government, Spurs will be playing basically every day until the end of the season. <laughs> so, like, there's a, there's more than enough games to go around. So, really, I, personally, my personal opinion is that I hope Winks doesn't leave this month because I want to see him continue to play for Tottenham. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Another issue at Tottenham this week was on Friday night, the circulation of a photograph of Eric Lamella, Giovanni Lo Celso and Sergio Reguilon and some of their friends, family and partners, along with West Ham's Manuel Lanzini at a Christmas lunch that clearly and flagrantly breached the COVID Christmas mixing rules in the UK. Um, Tottenham came out with a pretty strongly worded statement in condemnation of the three players involved in this. Uh, I think lots of people on social media and just in real life saw it and were, were pretty pissed off because this was obviously really bad, James. It seems like the fans and the fans are not impressed. I, it is it's incredibly stupid, isn't it? I mean, I can't actually comprehend that you can like live through what we've all lived through over the last, what, like eight, nine, ten months and then get to Christmas Day and all pile into someone's house without kind of realising that that is obviously just massively inappropriate, especially when you're a professional footballer and you're going to have to play loads of matches over that period that you're going to be at risk of, of missing or whatever. I mean, it is, it is absolutely mad. When you think of how many people have like, and I'm sure there were people listening to this who have ended up having quite a uh, quite a crap Christmas because you know they've not been able to spend it with the family. They, you know, maybe they built on their own, or they've not been able to see all the family that they wanted to see. Um, and it is like a massive slap in the face to all of those people who <laughs> have kind of really suffered over the last couple of weeks for a, a few <laughs> a few footballers to kind of get together with their families and and uh, and all spend time together. I mean. I, I mean, I suppose in a way you can maybe argue there's a little bit of mitigation for Reguilon because, you know, he's a young lad in a new country for the first time, away from home. It's probably all a bit unsettling, uh, which isn't to defend it, but you can kind of understand how maybe someone in his position might kind of feel like they really, really don't be on their own. And then if someone invites them over to their house, you might kind of go along with it. But I really do feel like, uh, like particularly Lamella and Lacelso should know better than that. And I think, you know, and for two players who have missed quite a lot of the season through injury already to then kind of take that kind of risk I think is so irresponsible and like a massive slap in the face of fans yeah I think I think that's spot on I'd really recommend as well Matt Woosnam he's our Crystal Palace reporter um and he wrote about this in relation to Milivojevic who you know was similarly photographed breaching the rules and was retained as uh, captain for their game against Sheffield United and yeah I think, you know like James says there Matt it just makes the point of how how much of a slap in the face that feels for supporters and for everyone all of whom have made tons of sacrifices I mean what would you have felt James and how do you think it would have gone down with the fan base if say Regulon had been dropped and made a show of I mean do you think that would have been justified I, look, I mean I'm sure there would have been some people that would have objected to that where there are some people that are objecting to wearing face masks in supermarkets so you know, uh, there, there are there are obviously some people that are, that, are, that are stupid enough to think that. Um, but I would have thought most right-minded people would be fine with that. And in the end, obviously, him not playing in the game hasn't made any difference because he was an unused substitute, so it was fine. Um, have to admit, I was a little bit surprised he was there on the bench. I, you kind of have a degree of sympathy with Mourinho there, I guess. He's kind of caught between uh, trying to make a statement and leaving him out and 
you know, having prepared for the game and picked his 11. I mean, I don't know if there's been any indication of whether he changed that on the basis of what happened or whether Davis was going to play anyway. So I kind of got the impression he wanted like the, the slightly more defensively minded fullbacks playing in that game anyway. So perhaps that was, that was the way he was going to go and it didn't make a difference. But yeah, I, you know, I, it must be incredibly annoying for Mourinho. Although having said that, obviously he's not, um, been without his own sort of lockdown breaches over the last 12 months. So I'm not sure he could afford to be too uh, judgmental about that. Yeah, I just want to completely agree with what with what you two have both said. I mean, for for anyone who hasn't seen their parents or whatever, or grandparents or whatever this Christmas, it, it, you know, it's obviously an insult. But it's also, you know, to take the kind of uh, kind of cold, cold headed, if that's the right way of putting it, like Premier League football approach, like viewpoint on this, the Premier League is not invincible like the Premier League is not guaranteed to continue and complete the season you know it's it's totally plausible that it would be stopped just like it was stopped last March and frankly the more players that you know the more that players break the rules the more likely it is that it'll get stopped and then suddenly this whole kind of money-making machine will, will grind to a halt again so the player you know this is really really serious stuff for the players to take the piss like this um and it's very, you know, it's, it's not promising for the survival of the Premier League season that the players should behave in this way. But I also, it's a slap in the face of the other players as well. And totally, I'm sure yeah. there'll be other players there who would have, like, not not seen people they wanted to see over Christmas yeah, New Year. Yeah, massively. Uh, for, for, for various reasons. And, um, you know, <laughs> then these three lads walk into the dressing room for the game on the 27th, having kind of all spent that time together. I mean, it is, yeah, it is, it's really bad. And they get that, you know, it's a mad situation that you can be criticising people for spending Christmas with their families. I mean, that that is, it is genuinely ludicrous, but that is a situation we're in right now. And especially as well, like, you know, when they are amongst the only people who actually get to socialise with their colleagues, um, you know, I'm not saying they're going out, but at least they get to, they have regular human contact, which is something that a lot of us would, love to have we've got this yeah exactly we get this we have um, to do this yeah, exactly one day guys we'll be back recording this podcast face to face again uh i think the last one we did was what early march so we're gonna we're definitely gonna yeah. make the one year anniversary of that yeah and then uh yeah we'll, one day we'll be back together anyway back in the back in this kind of the world of optimism and football um tottenham have got a semi-final on tuesday night against brentford in the carabao cup um this is really exciting isn't it james a big you know a semi-final they're one game away from wembley at home against a championship team it what does could go wrong uh, yeah exactly what could go wrong I mean you'll you'll remember as I do the last time Spurs played a uh, a football league team in a league cup semi-final because obviously Sheffield United in 2015 yeah. yeah Pochettino's first season um, and that I mean they were in league one I think weren't they actually mm. yeah I mean that that was not a particularly comfortable two-legged uh, experience uh, and I think in the end what was it I think it was the Townsend penalty in the first leg that probably made the difference in the end and then it was 2-2 two, two up there. Is that so, a Christian Eriksen free kick? Yeah, Christian Eriksen weird free kick right over yeah. the kind of far post. Love that trajectory. Yeah, yeah it was good. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably an indication that these things are, are, are quite often not quite as straightforward as they seem. And clearly Brentford are one of the better teams in that division. So, you know, not not to be taken lightly. But the reality of it is, yes, it's a home game against a championship club in a one-legged semi-final. Uh, an incredibly rare thing. So, yeah, Spurs should obviously, should obviously be big favourites there. And it's a massive opportunity to get into that final, uh, that, what the first domestic final Spurs have been in since that one in 2015, I guess. So, yeah, it, is, it, is, it kind of feels like it's kind of snuck up a little bit. I guess partly because it is only one leg in and it'll be done, it'll be done on Tuesday evening. But also because, you know, it feels like so much has happened over the last few weeks with Spurs that the idea they're suddenly in this game. I mean, having not played a League Cup game between whatever it was, the end of September and just before Christmas either. Uh, it does. It hasn't really felt like there's been a cup run because those two mm. previous games are so far apart. It all kind mm. of feels like it's been a bit staggered. And there was the bye against Orient as well. So it's kind of even fewer games. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it is a bit of a weird one. And now obviously we know that the final has been kind of kicked two months down the road. Is uh, 25th of April, I think that's going to be, if Spurs, well, whoever's in it. So if Spurs do get there, it's then going to be another kind of two and a half months before, uh, three and a half months, sorry, before we actually see the final, in, in which time so much could happen, so much could change. And they'll play Manchester United or Manchester City 
uh, in the league before that final. Um, and it's just like, it's just like so strange that that thing could be hanging over the club. I don't know, make that sound like it's a bad thing, but that thing could be in the background for such a long time, for such a big chunk of a season. And I get the intention is to make sure or to try and give the best possible chance of there being fans in the ground, but I'd be amazed if that happens, or certainly not on a big scale. Um, but it does seem weird that, like, that, you know, they try to cram so much into that competition early in the season. I don't know why that Orient game was called off because there wasn't an opportunity to play it again. And I think some clubs played like midweek, three weeks in a row, didn't they, in the League Cup? Uh, and, and now, and now we get to the semi-final, and they suddenly decide, oh, actually, we'll play the final. We'll play the final in April now. And it just feels like he crammed it all in at the start for no reason. Yeah, it's the biggest consequence of the weird scheduling, isn't it? That, that it's been so erratic, as you say. Yeah. There's been like crammed in, then nothing, then a little more, and then a huge gap again. It is, it's a weird, it's a weird run in inverted commas. It kind of feels like it's like the Italian Cup or something, isn't it? Or the Spanish mm-hmm. Cup. That's the way the things seem to work in those kind of countries where like the, the cup is such a it's kind of seen as such a kind of second thought that like it is almost kind of crammed in as and when they can. And I get, you know, in this season of all seasons, the scheduling is complicated and the League Cup is, you know, even a lower priority than the FA Cup. But it does seem mad that you can change that at the last minute to me. Uh, who do you think they should play? Like how important is this game, Charlie? Would you play Kane and Son and those guys or would you make a few changes or what? I think the fact they've got Marine on the weekend um, is is a real help here because they they could play a close to full strength team tomorrow and still have a week before their next league game, which you'd think would be the next game where most of those guys are going to have to play. So I think he can go stronger than uh, might have been prudent if, say, they had a big league game that coming this Saturday. I suspect he will name a very strong team. Maybe uh, with a couple of changes, but you know only the couple of changes that he might make for a league game. I, I don't think it's going to be a sort of wholesale changes uh, as it would be for, say, a Europa League group game. I think those changes would and absolutely should come against Marine uh, in the FA Cup on the weekend. That that Marine game, I mean, I, 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 like, I'm a big advocate of non-league football and I watch a lot of football at the kind of equivalent level down here, seventh tier teams. Uh, and like the idea that you can play against a team from that level, a, Premier, a good Premier League team, you know, playing against a team from the seventh tier with no fans in the ground on a pitch that I think will probably be pretty good because I've not played that many matches recently. Um, I mean, you're kind of, I think, I mean, Charlie were talking about it earlier and I think Charlie described it as like a sterile environment and I guess it kind of is that. It kind of, it's almost like a science experiment. What what will happen when you play, you know, I mean, it's like effectively going to be like a sort of game on a training ground really, isn't it, I guess. Um, and this isn't to be like disparaging and disrespectful to Marine, but like, Spurs should be able to make 11 changes and win that game really comfortably. I, I just feel like you're kind of taking out like, you're taking out the FA Cup chaos, but you're taking out like the FA Cup chaos factor, aren't you really? Mm. All, all the things that you think make the FA Cup <laughs> magic, to use the cliche, uh, you're kind of stripping all that away. And it's kind of, it's such a massive shame. And I know what it will mean to a club like that to play a Premier League team. Yeah. Uh, and obviously like the, some of the financial stuff is going to kind of be compensated for by like loads of Spurs fans buying like programs and half and half scarves and stuff online and, and tickets to a match and not actually going to be able to attend which is great that that's happening but like you know for the fans of the, for the actual fans of the club who have been like you know and there'll be like five six hundred of them who, who are watching them play every week who now won't get to watch them play against like a team that played in the European Cup final two years ago it's such a massive shame it's you know it's really sad that that's happened um uh, yeah, but I mean, for, uh, as for the game, I mean, I, I, it should just be like a, I, I, it should be routine. It should be routine. Should, but we know the way these things go. But I, I just think you're taking so much of the uncertainty out of it that uh, I would just be, it, even a massive pessimist like me would be very surprised this person to win that incredibly comfortably. Yeah. Like, like I, it's really unusual to have a team from step four play a Premier League team it's it's so unusual they're in the Northern Premier League Division 1 Northwest, so that means if they got promoted back into the Northern Premier League where they've been for a very long time before their recent relegation and then they got promoted out of that then they'd be in Conference South sorry Conference North Step 2 they are not near the Football League and so for a team like that like you know like James I'm a big big non-league fan and for a team like that if you get if you get like a Football League team in the first round that's really cool 
But to get a Premier League team in the third round is incredible. Never mind a Premier League team who's like one of the best teams consistently over the last sort of five to ten years. It just is such an incredible, it, it really is an incredible tie. And like James says, it is completely heartbreaking that it won't be, you know, the people the people who make up the cl- a club like that can really experience it in the in the full and proper way, which of course would be with a full stadium. But you know, we are we are where we are, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, even with eleven changes, you're talking potentially about players of the caliber like Deli Ali, uh, Lucas Moura, Davinson Sanchez. Like, it, it, it's crazy what watch the you know the golf in in quality that there should be. And yeah, I mean, take out all those variables, it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, to see how that plays out and if it is as big a golf and, or if that is bridged in any way just by, you know, there won't be the fans there, but if it is just, you know, the how much they're going to be up for it and the attitude, what, to what extent that can bridge the gap to any sort of extent. So we're going to finish off today's podcast with a quiz. My initial idea was to do a quiz of players who've played for Tottenham Hotspur and Brentford. Now, I can only come up with one. If you know it, shout it out. But the problem was, there's no. I couldn't find like a website that tells you who all these players would be. So is it Clive just, Allen? It feels like it must be Clive Allen, surely. He's not who I was thinking. He of. He didn't oh, play okay. for Brentford, I don't think. Uh, okay, fine. So the one I was thinking of was Alex Pritchard. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. And a season on loan at Brentford. Um, but then I, that would be not a great quiz, to be honest. If there's only <laughs> one one correct answer, and we'd be guessing. So we're going to do the conventional format because of quiz that is guessing an 11 because as as I'm sure James would know Tottenham actually played Brentford strangely enough three times in the League Cup second round in 92-93 and 2000-2001 each of them over two legs seems insane to me that the League Cup second round used to take place over two legs like why on earth did that happen Uh, but I suppose it was a very different time for football Um, but the most recent of those games was in September 2000 so 20 and a bit years ago uh, Tottenham beat Brentford 2-0 at White Hart Lane to progress through to the third round of the League Cup this was right at the very end of the Alan Sugar era which of course we've written about a fair bit recently so hopefully these names will be in your minds Um, usual format usual rules apply 11 names to get. Who wants to start? Can I just say before we start that Steve Perriman played for Brentford as well. I have just Googled that, but I don't want us to get abused for not saying that. So I've said Okay, that cool. Okay. Steve Perriman. And, and obviously listeners, if you know anyone else who's played for Tottenham and Brentford, please tweet us. Yeah, but I actually, but I'm really curious now. Now in a non-abusive way, because we didn't miss that obvious one. Steve, if you're listening, <laughs> no no disrespect, mate. God, I'm just, my main thing is like how much they would have rotated, like how much rotation was a thing at that time, given they wouldn't have been in Europe. These are all quite recognisable names. There's not many shock names on... I've heard of all these players. There's no like, oh wow, who the fuck is he? Should I go first? Yeah, Charlie, you get to go first. Um, Neil Sullivan? Yes. So, where, where, it's 2000, isn't it? Sorry, 2000, 2001. Yeah, this is some September 2000. Uh, Stephen Carr? Yes. Sol Campbell? No. Um, Chris Perry. Yes. Thatcher. Do you've been left back? Yes, Thatcher. It's not the first time you said yes, Thatcher, is it, uh, Jack? Well, hey, <laughs> very, very good. That works. Um, who would the other centre back have been? Stefan Everson. Yes. Um. I'm just thinking, this player definitely would have. This was his first season when he was good, Rebrov. But I'm just thinking whether he may have would he have been rested. I'll, I'll go Rebrov. Yes, Rebrov. Three all guys. Good performance so far. Um, five names left on the board. Stefan Freund. Yes, Stefan Freund. God. Well, um, Stephen Clements. No. No Clements. Uh, Four names left to get. Tim Sherwood? Yes, oh, Tactics Tim. Tim. Hmm. In the engine room. Uh, Matty Etherington? Nope. No Etherington. Simon Davis? Ah! Nope. No Simon Davis. 
So there's three names left to get. Um, I say two of them are fairly gettable. One of them is maybe slightly harder. Uh, I can't think who the centre back is going to be. Oh, actually, wait, 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 wait. Okay, it's not my turn, is it? Is it? It's a free, it's a free for all. Oh, now. is it? Okay. Uh, Mauricio Chirico, <laughs> yeah. Ben Thatcher played centre back. Is that right? No, no, okay. no, Chirico. Never mind. Should I spice this up with some clues? Yes. Uh, so of the three names left, two of them are people that the Athletic has spoken to fairly often. Vega? <laughs> yes, Vega. Uh, My boy, Ramon. Les Ferdinand. Les Ferdinand. Like, yeah. oh, Charlie. Charlie's pulled it back to five all. Uh, I knew Charlie's it all. got a massive advantage here. Hasn't he spoken to him? <laughs> One name left on the board. It's five all after Charlie's incredible serve. This, back this has got to be three. a wide player, hasn't it? Surely, I'm guessing. It is a wide player, yeah. Um... He is not someone who I immediately associate with playing for Tottenham, although he did play for Tottenham for a bit. Uh, I associate him with other clubs in England who he played for. Uh, oh, oh Leonardson. Leonardson. Oh, I've been Leonardson. I said that, that was yes. me first. That was me first. Uh, mm. I'm going to call that a tie. Oh, come That's on. A tie. No, five, it's five and a half well, each. Let, you know how let's I, tie, let's have a tiebreaker. To get the subs. A tiebreaker? Okay, who scored? Leonardson. Uh, I actually lost the bit Red of I've lost the right oh, okay, tab right. to be able to find out the correct answer to this. I feel like uh, Leonardson did actually score quite a few goals for Spurs. I wouldn't be surprised if that actually was right. Uh, it was Leonardson and Everson who scored. Oh. So yeah, I guess in this, I guess I guess you're right. Moral victory again. Yeah, I'd kind of I'd kind of memory hold the fact that Leonardson played for Tottenham. To be honest, in my mind, he's Liverpool and Wimbledon. Wimbledon, yeah, I think it was Wimbledon. He used to wear sweatbands, didn't he, on his uh, yeah. on his wrist. His trademark manoeuvre. Yeah, part of the legendary um, Norwegian invasion of Wimbledon. Yes, yeah. I don't think he was. I think he was there before that, but okay. No, you must be right, yeah. He joined in, he joined in 1994. Eggie I mean, Olsen didn't get the job until later, and they didn't... Uh, Sam oh, Amanda sorry, didn't yeah. sell to the Norwegians until later. I thought I you meant that. that. I thought, sorry, I thought you meant just that period in the Premier League where there were a lot of good, good Norwegians. He was, mm. he was at the forefront oh, well. of that. I've humiliated myself again. Okay. Uh, okay, guys. Well, that was a really fun podcast. Thank you very much to James and Charlie. Congratulations on your shared quiz title. Uh, thank you, producer Tom. And thank you, everyone, for listening uh, and for all your kind questions and comments over the course of the Christmas. Uh, please let us know if you've got anything you want us to discuss next time. Let us know if you can remember anyone else who's played for Brentford and Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, and otherwise, we'll be back next week looking back at the Brentford and Marine games and looking forward to another busy week at Tottenham. I won the quiz.